Hey, welcome to the Comic Syllabus Podcast, where we、um, see the vast ocean, the wide, wide <laughs> spectrum of comics that are out there. And、um, with eyes wide open, we dive deep in. I'm Paul, I'm an English teacher, and、um, I just enjoy reading comics with you. So thank you for joining us. Today, our book of focus is going to be no one else. Just me. No, I'm just kidding.、Um, no One Else by R. Kakuo Johnson from Fanographics Books just came out a few weeks ago. It's a, just a gorgeous,、um, poignant book about Charlene who loses her father and、uh, family deals with tragedy and、uh, the ripples of, of sadness past.、Um, it's a beautiful book, and we're going to talk about it today. We're also going to have the polybag segment where different comics that are out on comic book shelves that I have. Acquired for my collections. <laughs> we'll cover those.、Uh, things, things coming to an end and things launching. Things like The Me You Love in the Dark, King of Spies, Made in Korea, Firepower, Crush and Lobo, Spider Man, <laughs> Devil's Reign, Good Asian. I can keep going. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff.、Um, we'll also reflect a little bit on、um, comics、uh, in the classroom and at home and, and as a As a place of refuge.、Um, and,、uh, you know, there is a, a, a survey, a sort of a, a December 2021 poll、um, of just what you'd like to see in the Comic Syllabus podcast, or rather, what you'd like to hear. And、uh, it's there linked in the show notes. Last episode, I introduced it, and I got to send, well, I will soon send, a,、um, A copy of Grass of Parnassus, our focus book from last week by Catherine and Stuart Immonen, to Johnny.、Um, the random number generator picked Johnny, and I get to send that to Johnny out there in Indiana. What's up, Johnny?、Um, so, um, so, for this coming week, I would just love to send a copy, this copy that I'm holding in my hand right now, of no one else to somebody, to a randomly chosen、um, respondent to the survey. You don't have to. Uh, give me your address and information in the survey.、Um, all I'm just asking for is more feedback so that I can know who's out there listening. to,、um, Yeah, just to be able to make this podcast work its best for you. You know, some of the feedback I've already gotten has really helped me to think about how to restructure and retool and refocus. And we can enter 2020, 2022. What year are we in? <laughs> we can enter next year.、Um, A little sharper and hopefully a little more, more relevant to y'all's interests.、Um, comics syllabus lives at its home at multiversitycomics.com, where there's all kinds of great coverage of all kinds of great things. I mean, if you're into comics,、uh, there is stuff, you know, the latest books that are out there, the、um, collections of graphic novels that are worth reading, classic runs, lots of coverage of comics news,、um, TV shows, and, and movies that are affiliated with the culture. It's pretty great. So, Multiversity is a great home. Oh, and other podcasts, fun podcasts that cover all kinds of things.、Um, so, check, us, check us out over there at Multiversity. And it's the year end. And so, we get to start、um, you know, sharing our lists, our、um, write ups of favorite artists of the year and series and all that kind of stuff. And so, it is a time every,、uh, towards the end of every year when, when the comic syllabus, I'm sorry, excuse me, the Multiversity Comics crew, Starts to reflect on the year that was.、Um, for this year in particular and, and last year, it has been tough.、Um, and one thing we always do every year 
is we spend some time with in memoriam pieces to remember people who've been lost. And of course, um, every year that's hard, but these last couple years, it's especially difficult. Um, the loss that we've all experienced. Um, and I'm in that space right now, thinking a lot about the loss that I, that friend, friends around me, um, even this week or today, I've been finding about uh, finding out about, um, and the loss that you know my students are experiencing. Um, it is just a very hard time, and so um, my compassion and empathy towards you. And um, last year, at the end of the year, I wrote a piece at uh, you know about my comics year finding that if there was any year for me to quit reading comics, it would have been last year. And yet I couldn't, I didn't, because there is um, something so important for my imagination and my engagement with culture in reading these works and uh, in reading all kinds of stuff. So thank you for joining us for that. We'll take a little break and then we'll launch into reading No One Else. Um, on that last somber note, <laughs> um, I think a sense of loss and yet how you carry forth with, um, resilience, even joy is the question lurking in the back of this book. No one else. Arkako Johnson, if you don't know, is a cartoonist and illustrator, um, whose cover art often graces the New Yorker in my stacks of unread New Yorker <laughs> magazines. Sometimes I'll see Arkako Johnson's signature on um, what is always, um, you know, inevitably a gorgeous piece of art. In fact, for a while I was using as my Zoom background last year in my teaching and attending meetings and stuff like that, a piece that um, that, that Kako Johnson uh, drew, a New Yorker cover, um, in the midst of the anti, sort of the, 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 flare-up still ongoing of anti-Asian hate and violence and um it was this picture of um New York subway station mother and and daughter looking worriedly around them and it just really captured the moment for me um so for a while I, I uploaded that to zoom as my background um because there's something in those simple stark images that just captures so much of um how I felt at that moment, and and the same seems very true of this book. Um, Kakua Johnson drew Nightfisher, uh, well nigh 14 years ago, I want to say. It was a while ago, and uh, a gorgeous book, and I, I've owned several copies of it, and I don't know if I own one right now, but I've also given away many copies of it, so that's why I'm not sure if I'm still in possession of one. And I don't remember the details, but like this book, I remember that there was a rootedness for that book, in the author's, you know, home in Maui, um, there's something to, of, um, you know, uh, of a, a, a actual resident of Hawaii to know the um, insides of, you know, not the community that is, not the tourism community or the tourist community. Sometimes they are um, tourism adjacent um, in that economy, but really the, the real lives of folks who live out in, um, you know, sugar farms and or plantations and and in the fields and in the towns, and that's where we are in um, 
and no one else. And we open in this book, um, oh, I should mention too, last year, R. Kakua Johnson also had a, ah, what was it called? Something Shark King, I think it was, a Toon Books comic that was for young readers, for kids, that I, I really loved. I've given it to a couple of students who enjoyed it, zipped right through it, but really loved it. Um, so that's a good one to check out as well for younger readers. Um, but no one else um, is such an elegant piece of comics work. Um, and it has that simplicity that you come to love from your favorite cartoonists like Dan Klaus, um, although not as wordy, <laughs> or like uh, Adrian Domine, um, another New Yorker cover illustrator, um, because they they managed to find in carefully drawn um and you know rendered with such a combination of simplicity uh, symbolic simplicity and life life likeness that uh, they really managed to render the day-to-day life the opening scene of this book um shows us we meet charlene a mom single mom who is a nurse <laughs> who um who we see at the very beginning um sort of cleaning the feet of her father in the shower. Um, he's, you know, obviously uh, aged and um, and maybe not in the best shape to take care of himself. So she's taking care of him, clearly. There's um, silences that speak volumes uh, in this in this book, in this opening. <laughs> she has a very talkative co-worker that she commutes to, to work with who conveniently blames her, <laughs> you know, so there's a little bit of, there's a whole lot of that, that cool thing when you have, you get to know a character because other characters are talkative around them and in the, in the uh, reactions that you imagine behind her sort of, you know, um, glasses where we can't see her eyes. And then occasionally when it peeks out, when we see exactly what reaction she has to her, um, her, uh, uh, infuriating frustrating colleague <laughs> um we get to know what this character deals with and it's a character who has to deal with a lot um clearly in her job and with her family um because she's taking care of her elderly dad and then we see very soon just really the fourth third page spread um her son and her son <laughs> has a cat named batman and loves cheese balls, Cheetos, um, that he's eating out of a bucket while he's watching TV. And this, this um, you know, series of pages, we are very much at eye level with the kid, sitting in front of the couch, eating the cheese balls, playing with his cat, <laughs> when the sort of annoying obstruction of her grandfather walks by. And her grandfather is not steady in his step. Um, and he's mostly an annoyance because he's, you know, the kid is trying to see around him and watch TV as he wobbles past him. Um, so poignant because there's in this scene, um, an eye level empathy with the kid. Um, but we know as, um, as, you know, more mature readers that, um, this is a setup for a sad and scary situation that grandpa is um, is not in great shape. And the kid is being just a kid. And there's it's, it could be so easy to become uh, angry at this kid. <laughs> the way that we would, with Charlene, be angry at um, 
this coworker, uh, just so irresponsible. Um, but you don't, you don't feel that way. The kid is a kid because you are very much at his eye level and really seeing and experiencing the world through the innocence of what he should not have to. Uh, yet, yet so many of us do so often we have to, uh, bear or deal with, which is, um, how do we respect and take care of, uh, how do we respect and take care of those who are, you know, at the end of life and deserve caregiving? Um, and how is Charlene supposed to handle all that when she is clearly on her own taking care of father and son? Um, there's a lot. <laughs> there's the cute sandwich that um, Charlene is making for her son with apple slices and uh, cut in to, to make a, a, a funny face <laughs> on the sandwich. Um, and while she's doing that and getting everything ready, um, her father falls and, and he doesn't make it. Um, and meanwhile, uh, eventually, you know, we, in this languid, um, really heart-wrenching pace, we kind of um, experience these scenes, and I won't give away too much, um, but with just incredible poetic selectivity, you know, just the right moment where more by implication than saying it outright, the severe loneliness, um, the sort of how do we do this except that we just have to um, in this life that Charlene feels is um, is shown with so many things that are just indirect, off camera, um, not the moment that she would think of, but a moment that captures so much the you know, the, tra the tragedy, um, and, and then, and then Charlene gets very lost in something, and we're very much following her son, um, and seeing this and experiencing this, this loss and this sort of deterioration of, of anchors, um, through his eyes, um, and then the, sort of the attention shifts again, because Charlene's brother, who has been, um, traveling as a musician, <laughs> shows up back in the town and he's just very lovable um clearly a little bit of a a, a screw up a little bit um some success as a traveling musician some derision as as somebody who just sort of fled the scene his relationship with his sister um tense and uh and fraught but clearly there's love and loyalty there and they deal you know, they have to cope with dad's stuff, with Charlene having a bit of a meltdown with um, her son Brandon really dealing with growing up in uh, in this household. Um, the book is basically a hundred pages of two-row paneled comics, and uh, and yet though brief, and you can really hold it in a, you know, in one hand, um, it's pretty small volume uh and though simple in its use of color it's it's kind of a almost duotone with some um some sort of uh muted blues and uh and kind of a pink orange orangey pink um very selectively used there's um just great poetry there's great poetry 
in in this story. Um, I gotta say, honestly, I, I read a lot of good comics this year. I think a lot of pent-up stuff and a lot of a lot of breakthrough that really um, might have been distributed among 2020 and 2021 erupted in this year. Um, this might be my favorite thing that I've read all year. Um, Arco Johnson's No One Else. Uh, you know, <laughs> I like to do these reviews where I give away. I talk about it. I try to talk about it a lot, but I don't really give away too much. And I, and I don't want to give away too much. I think it's worth your time and attention. Um the the description on the back cover uses the word bittersweet. I would say that's that's perfect. Um, there is in this such so much that might feel tragic, but please read it because it's fun, actually, um, and beautiful. And um, you know, it, it's the kind of thing where I read it slowly and re- I've re- reread it a couple times, and each time I read it, it moves me more. Um, so no one else by R. Kakua Johnson maybe my book of the year um, it's reminding me too that um, what I wrote in that piece at the end of last year was just about the way that um, with sort of I guess the, the reality of our mortality if I could put it that way without sounding too grim um, but just very directly and head on talking about gosh you know my my students who are experiencing loss in their immediate families and the effects um on their well-being on their relationships of being you know like pent up at home um really scary things as well as as just i don't know <laughs> depression and 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 pain and stuff like that um yeah things folks are going through and at the same time feeling the sense that because we feel the um precarity of life we also uh, hug our children a little more you know squeeze our our loved ones a little bit tighter um we feel the absence of people more but we also um feel gratitude all the more for the very imperfect ones around us. I think no one else really um, resonates that feeling. And I think it's um, very much what I need. So love that book. I'll come back to these sentiments a little more at the end after the polybag segment. But let's go to the polybag and we'll take a break. Okay, lots of comics the last couple of weeks have been intriguing, interesting, um, and many of them the end of a series or the beginning of one. So, yeah, looking at all the stuff that came out, I guess I, I guess I'll start with something that feels exciting for for me. That feels, that feels like a good comic. <laughs> Let's start there. We have ones that I may not feel so high about, but we'll start with something that feels uh, interesting. Um, and and that would be good the good asian um to to no one's surprise all of comicdom heard that i hears that i like the good asian and uh everybody already knew <laughs> but um if you have not caught up you're in for a treat and if you are caught up you know what i'm talking about um issue 7 of the good asian written by pornsak p 
Pichichot with art by, I think it's Alexander Tefengi, um, Lee Lowridge. Uh, and uh, it just really, um, really does it for me. This series uh, in its noirish Chinatown setting, um, it's pretty dark and yet um, actually not unlike Arkako Johnson's art, Tefengi manages to, um, to, with very simple and elegant lines, uh, really capture a ton of uh, inner fire <laughs> under the cool veneer, uh, outside veneer, or sometimes the outside fire of characters. There's fire in this issue. Um, it's uh, it's um, it's time to catch up. It's time to start reading this series. the The trade for the first, you know, what it, whatever it was, five or six issues is out. Um, if you're not reading this, then you're missing out on one of the best comics of the year. Um, I think that um, this book is mounting toward a really exciting uh, climax. And uh, there's plenty of action here. We're, we're by no means slowing down. Um, on the contrary, like the great detective novels and crime stories of the era from which this story very much hails, um, while speaking a word of, you know, um, of, of, of consciousness, of racism that is much, very much from our era now. This, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's going. There's momentum. There's fire. So, good Asian. I, I'm trying to talk about plot details, but I, my aversion to spoiling things is keeping me from getting into specifics. If you know, if you're reading, you know what I'm talking about. And I think that the, the, you know, the, the way that, um, good noir should do this every character is um unsettled there's you you don't know if you can trust him um outside of our hero edison hark who is very much our pov right character um and even him you know like the thing that makes him heroic is his honesty but um but every character is um shady and i think that that is an is a um it's kind of like an important thing, not just for noir, but specifically for Chinatown noir, written and drawn by Asian heritage creators about um, an Asian American experience, um, particularly from sort of that time period when, you know, the suspiciousness aroused by Yellow Peril. I remember jokes about scheming Chinamen when I was a kid, racist jokes that I didn't understand. I was like, wow, why? Why are you so suspicious of Asian people? But um, for them not to be the double-minded, you know, two sides of their mouth uh, characters. Um, yeah, without spoiling, <laughs> again, too much. Um, there is a lot to who gets to be um, the investigator and who is really double in their intentions that um, the creators here are flipping. And so the good Asian is some good Asian. That's some good Asian. <laughs> Comics coming from me, an Asian, uh, who is not good. <laughs> I love this book. Uh, keep reading it. Um, and I think that what as it gets exciting and as it mounts towards something really good, um, I am thinking of Made in Korea number six. So Made in Korea number six um, 
written by Jeremy Holt and drawn by George Shaw, um, is um, is a really satisfying ending uh, to this series. Um, I think that they've left open enough in this world um, with this idea of these proxy children who are, you know, sort of computer children for what seems like a, um, you know, a, a, a trial of barrenness. Uh, that many many people, maybe more people, go through in this near future world, and uh, you know we have this um, sort of the invention of this of this um, rebellious AI <laughs> with incredible capacity for learning, but also incredible capacity for um, deviance, quote unquote, that um, is put into, in, in sort of a um, renegade way, put into this one particular proxy child who is sent to um, um, the United States, raised by parents, um, you know, learns uh, precociously quickly, falls in with the wrong people. Uh, and as we saw towards the, again, not to give too much away, towards uh, the latter issues of this series, um, what are, what is this kid going to do? Um, what the story is ultimately really about kind of gets revealed at the end and uh and it's so profound these questions that many ai stories present to us of uh, about you know what it means for us to be human what it means for us to give human attributes to um our creations um what when when you dive off that cliff from um, artificial intelligence to sentience and so on um, takes a very specific form in the way that this child grows into who they're supposed to be <laughs> in issue six and um, even though it's not meant to I think necessarily um, ripple with a kind of emotional impact it did so for me because of the import of the, the that particular experience or those particular kinds of experiences that this main character um start you know ends up echoing so i gotta say it <laughs> and this one's done so <laughs> good agent number seven you still have to hang on for the rest of the ride that one is coming out pretty consistently on a monthly basis made in korea is is now wrapped up at least this arc i would love more uh you hear that image comics and jeremy holt Oh, wait, did I say Good Asian is from Image Comics? Both of these are from Image Comics. Uh, I'll have more. I'll take more of Made in Korea, please. Um, but um, as it is, this six issues, uh, really well wrapped up. Um, some of the favorite things that I read this week were those things. So, yeah, check out Made in Korea number six. I had to say um, something that was less of my favorite thing in terms of how it wrapped up was the Me You Love in the Dark, um, once again from Image Comics, which also wrapped up its um, story. Uh, wound up being a five-issue story. And it uh, is written by Scotty Young and drawn by Jorge Corona. Um, what I like about the Me You Love in the... And, you know, I'm actually wondering if maybe I'm wrong. I thought it came out in December, but maybe it came out in late November. Anyway, the Me You Love in the Dark... Um, last issue number number five um was i think um a series that had a lot of potential um and it was saying something it really it really felt like it was saying something and then it abruptly turned in a way that made me realize i mean kind of like made in korea that it was maybe saying something else 
And then I think the way it ended made that something else, which had its own potential, fall kind of flat. Um, and I, I don't feel like I can talk about it, and I want to, without giving a little bit of away. So if you are spoiler-averse, skip ahead about a minute and a half or so. If you're not, um, I won't give too much away, I think. But this the, the story's premise, it's, there's an artist, you know, trying to work up the, you know, the, the set of pieces for to... to, to you know, fuel another show and then their next art show. And, you know, the, their art dealer curator is sort of like, Hey, let's, uh, let's get it going. So she rents out a, um, an old house. Um, it's clearly haunted. She does it anyway. Um, and the ghost monster that she encounters there, uh, is not only doesn't scare her off, but it becomes almost an inspiration. It becomes her muse for her art. Um, and then the relationship, um, maybe oddly, turns romantic, turns into a kind of um, intense uh, attachment. And, uh, and then in the latter issues, that gets very dark and very scary. Um, I thought that the first couple issues were really promising in this idea that an artist might seek, you know, inspiration from a different kind of thing, you know, um, <laughs> um, from being in a place that is maybe terrifying. There, there was something there. And then I think when the story kind of turns and the monster turns out to be very much a monster, you know, the ghost turns out to be possessive, it really seemed to maybe be an, a, a story about the way that even the most brilliant, creative, self-aware people can become locked in um, in a way, in relationships, um, maybe perhaps like abusive relationships, where the possessiveness of one one partner um, uh, becomes a danger. So I could really see that the the sort of um, and, and and again maybe even among the most like you know self possessed of folks, but um, I could see that as being where the story could really explore something profound. And then it abruptly ended as a monster story, which um, they had to escape um, and a little bit grisly at the end. And so I, I think I've enjoyed Scotty Young as a writer. I mean, I, I thought Middle West had all kinds of layers that, um, you know, for this clearly a, a comics writer um, who is also uh, super. I love Scotty Young's art. Um, Jorge Corona ain't a slouch either. Super cool art as well. But the series, in the end, um, I felt it. It felt it felt left me a little empty, um, to be honest. And so I, I wish I had liked it more. Um, I think that it had a lot of promise. Um, me, you love in the dark. <laughs> Not much of an endorsement. Just keeping it real. Um, but so there, you know, there have been there have been a few other things that um, I think you know you can hear in the tone of the other things that I, in my response to. to no one else, for instance, that there is something that I'm really searching for in this time and in these moments. And, uh, you know, as I kind of flip through the pile here, you know, I'm wondering if there's maybe some cynicism I, I lack and, and, and an ability to um, sort of enjoy the critical or satirical that I, I, I don't know, I just feel an aching for, for earnestness, I suppose. 
Um, which actually brings me to um, a couple other things that I've read and that I feel a little bit of thumbs up or thumbs down about. Um, one being X-Men Legends number nine. So X-Men Legends is a sort of reliving the 90s <laughs> for X-Men comics, including the creative teams and including the kinds of stories and sometimes picking up where we left off with a lot of characters too. So I was excited about this run because I really liked Larry Hama's Wolverine stuff um, from the 90s. Um, I thought it was just kind of the pinnacle of a certain kind of cool. Um, and I, I, it's very hard for me not to like Larry Hama. Um, even the, uh, you know, the Iron Fist series he recently did, uh, he, he recently wrote, all that old G.I. Joe stuff. I haven't read deeply of it, but anything I, I do read, I, I quite enjoy. Um, X-Men Legends had a lot going for it for me. It was, um, you know, if I could just sort of get in the right 90s mindset, it had Larry Hama, um, the artist Billy Tan is not necessarily a style I, I always love, but I, I can respect it. Um, it was uh, Wolverine and Jubilee. Done. Like, <laughs> Wolverine and Jubilee, I'm in. Um, I, I love the relationship. Sadly, I can't say that there have been many Jubilee and Wolverine stories I have loved, but there have been many uh, times when the relationship has been... Um, very, very much spoken to my heart um, and my relationship with my daughter. Um, so there's a there's an old man Wolverine and there's a, a Jubilee kid in my close in my heart and in my household. Uh, this X Men run, uh, X Men Legends number seven through nine, have been a story with Wolverine and uh, Jubilee, and then Lady Deathstrike and Omega Red. And it's um, it's not for kids. It's <laughs> this is not one that I will be reading with my daughter. Um, there's a lot of grisly, gruesome uh, claw action, as 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 Wolverine comics maybe should, and maybe some of the ways that you know Larry Hama and the 1990s equivalent of Billy Tan would have had to hold back. They don't have to anymore so much now in 2021, and they can. It can be eyeballs um, <laughs> removed from their sockets, um, but the story itself, I think, just it just uh, it did feel '90s, and 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 then I remembered what I <laughs> what I didn't love about that era, and so um, I, I this too. I wish that there could have been more. I mean, there were a few moments, but uh, for, you know, including well, uh, Jubilee really wanting more noodles. That was just that was my daughter, but. <laughs> On the whole, I think this X-Men Legends um, uh, sort of rehash project um, isn't really quite doing it for me. So I, to be honest, I hadn't read the issues before, um, even though some of the teams were some really classic ones that I really liked. Um, but I couldn't say no to the Larry Hama, Wolverine, Jubilee. Um, but in the end, can't say that I recommended it. Again, I think there was... You know, this isn't 13-year-old me uh, in 1993 really looking for how cool it is when, you know, you get comeuppance uh, on on the, the clawed bad guys. Um, I'm really looking for relationship and, and, um, and some earnestness, which actually made me, very surprisingly, pretty fond of Crush and Lobo number seven. <laughs> 
if you told me that I would not be recommending the Jubilee comic, but I would be recommending the Lobo and his daughter Crush comic, I'd have said you were crazy. Crazy. Um, Crush and Lobo number seven, written by Mariko Tamaki and uh, drawn by Amake Nahuopan. Um, Nahuopan, if you don't know, is just a cool, cool artist who is um, popping up in lots of places. Follow that artist. I like that work. Um, and Tamaki, of course, is one of my favorites. Um, Crush and Lobo number seven, I would say there's anything particular about number seven, except that it's the penultimate issue, I think. Originally, this series was slated for nine, and uh, now it's seven of eight, so I think it's been shortened, um, and I hope that's not a bad bad thing. In, uh, the concision is probably good. Um, it's been a journey, <laughs> and this book, um, I mean, it's been cool. I think issue one, I liked the the sort of rendition of Crush. Um, you know, she was, um, she had, you know, fall in love and then broken the heart of this girl Katie who she um you know sort of the the when 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 a character is uh maybe genetically inheriting this um rough kind of way but um for for the love of uh an an innocent right like starts to go, why am I a jerk? <laughs> you know, why am I this way? Why do I avoid um, intimacy and uh, affection when I so clearly want and need it? That's the, that's Paul Nip. Like, that's the stuff I like, and that's the stuff that makes me want to keep reading. And so um, maybe in that place of particular sentimentality, Crush in this series is um, not very heads up, and um re reuniting with her dad lobo <laughs> that can't be good and it doesn't turn out to be good and so you know uh sucker for father and son dynamics but here's n- definitely not the the kind of um ideal father figure at all um at all at all and yet the um the way that this story is very much driven by um both the regret and the the sort of like very earnest hope of a pretty cynical cool character like crush um keeps me in it keeps me liking it keeps me interested keeps me invested in um what will happen with the relationship of crush and lobo and what they encounter in their situation so that that was pretty good i i'm doing i think i'm doing a pretty good job not giving too much away while still <laughs> while still talking substantively, I hope, about these stories. So yeah, that's a thumbs up for Crush and Lobo. What a surprise. Um, and a little bit of a thumbs down for X-Men Legends, unfortunately. What a surprise. Um, what will probably not surprise you is I liked Human Target number two um, because of Greg Smallwood's art and Tom King's writing is pretty good in this um it will probably not surprise you that i also really liked wonder woman historia this gorgeous um spreads by phil jimenez and uh kelly sue deconic weaving um her usual um mythology and mystery um that is very much saying and doing many things that are new in spite of what some people say why are we rehashing the history of the amazons Look, you gotta just please read a little closer 
<laughs> catch some subtleties, please. Uh, I'd love to dig deep into that if anyone's interested in Historia and talking more about my specific thoughts. Um, I follow avidly now Daredevil's goings-on, and uh, I gotta say the Hawkeye show is so good. I am, it's, it's gotta be my favorite Marvel show. We'll see if it, um, the last two episodes wind up being, um, you know, earning the right for it to top, you know, Loki and, and WandaVision and all that that I liked quite a lot. But um, yeah, Hawkeye is really great. And so I'm invested in this Devil's Reign Marvel event. I like Chip Zdarsky's writing in spite of myself. Um, Marco Cicero's art is super cool. Devil's Reign number one of six, though, written and drawn by Zdarsky and Cicero. Uh Not my favorite. Not my favorite. I think all the heroes are getting involved. We're getting a little bit of, of Luke and Luke Cage and Jessica. That's cool. I really like um, Daredevil. I really like Electra Devil. <laughs> We're getting some Miles, I think, and Peter. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's getting big, and this Kingpin as Mayor story squashing out superhero outlawing superheroes. I feel like we've been we've you know drank from that well a lot. And um, maybe this will get good. I think it still has potential, and I trust this creative team. It's still in my poll list. But um, I don't know. I, I wasn't super um, excited by Devil's Reign number one. What surprised me and did excite me as I click through and try to find the, uh, the tab where I have the listed the, the stuff. Um, what surprised me is um, December 1st, uh, King of Spies number one. Um, I, I knew that um, this book written by, by Mark Millar, but both art by Matteo Scalera, I knew that Scalera's art was going to make me happy. Um, many moons of uh, black science and, and then applied, you know, black science was cool, but was a, that had that remainder circularity in, in something that went that long. Um, and so um, I, I, I fell on, I fell off and jumped back on at many times with black science. Um, but Matteo Scalera applied to some kind of like spy craft stuff. Man, you got me. Now, Mark Millar, Mark Miller, Mark Millar, um, is not always my favorite writer. Um, but sometimes he just gets it, you know, sometimes he just does it. And so the story of a penitent, James Bond type spy who in in the last months of his life diagnosed with terminal illness wants to rectify this very self-centered work of a lifetime and um you know undo some of the injustices that he was a part of perpetuating as a spy um as an old man <laughs> you got me like that premise alone which was sort of like you know, stretched out over a, a meaty issue of many pages. Um, it just worked for me. So, it, you know, it, it kind of, again, like Newburn um, earlier last month with uh, with uh, Phillips and, and uh, Zdarsky. Yeah, it's it's predictable premise, and maybe the story will play out in predictable fashion, um, but it is a premise that s- appeals to, again, back to this earnestness that I'm looking for maybe maybe uh you know even in the 
in the hands of some cynical old dudes. <laughs> Can we try to do some good in the world? <laughs> Can we just have that as a potential motivation again? Um, <laughs> and finally, uh, talk about firepower. Um, we haven't checked in with firepower in a while. Issue 18 came out um, on December 1st. <clears throat> and this series by Robert Kirkman and Chris Somney um, with, uh, you know, Matt Wilson and, and Russ Wooten and familiar characters like that um, from Image Comics um, stays being being really good. I just I just like it. Um, I think that um, you know the um, the story keeps kind of getting bigger and reaches a tiny bit of resolution here, but um, clearly there's a, a larger war that's just going to be ongoing. And I get a sense that um, even though Kirkman, of course, is known for these super, super long series that um, kind of go on forever (laughs) and garner huge readerships, I feel like there's now a little bit of respect for the artist in in some sense, um, which Somni certainly has earned, and, and a certain respect for readers where Kirkman is really seeing the power of a limited series. I don't know if he's... If they've said how long Firepower is planned to run, and they clearly have a big story um, in mind and a bigger story, but I I kind of feel like there's a there's going to be something really clean and nice uh, in in getting big enough and then uh, reaching a resolution with these characters. Um, and so Owen and his kids uh, and uh, you know they're they're. Um, ongoing fight with these uh, serpent, great serpent dragon characters, um, together with Wei Lun, the teacher who was there on the cover of Firepower 18. Um, yeah, it just it's 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 in a really good place here in 18 issues. And so um, for for review, if you haven't read Firepower, you first got to get the OGN. There's an OGN that's kind of a volume one. Volume two is actually issues one through five or six ish. And uh, here we are at uh, at issue eight, 18. A breezy read. Um, I find that as the story goes along, and really as Somni, Chris Somni's career goes along, you know, he, he's somehow doing this and uh, Jana, you know, and the impossible monsters, I think, from um, um, <laughs> shoot, Oni. Thank you, Oni. <laughs> somehow, Chris Somni, this incredible artist, is kind of got two books going at once. Um, but as time goes on, Somni's style, which was already that kind of Alex Toth, very spare and very, um, very, uh, um, you know, as few lines as needed um, to achieve the effect, uh, which is part of the effect. Uh, he he becomes more like that. You know, he leans even more into it. And he's becoming that veteran artist who knows, um, you know, like latter day well, like Toth or like Latter-day uh, Wally Wood or, or like uh, Mike Mignola just knows exactly how to very selectively choose the blocks of black and the, um, the lines that affect the communication and the dynamism that you're looking for. He knows how to draw loose and, uh, and yet to still be beautiful uh, page after page. So um, an unstinting... Um, work of really really exciting action and uh in in its own way that kind of beauty 
um, has been firepower. I, I'm enjoying it at issue 18. Yeah, so those are some of the things I've been reading. I think I mentioned Spider-Man. I guess I should talk about Spider-Man. This Spider-Man um, Beyond Corporation series with a Beyond team of uh, Cody Ziegler, um, who I just need, uh, Zeb Wells is who I should I guess said first, is maybe slightly helming it along with, of course, editor Nick Lowe is the editor. <laughs> but you got, you know, you got Kelly Thompson, you got Saladin Ahmed, you got um, Cody Ziegler, who's new on the comic scene somewhat and and has been writing i think was part of the maybe the she-hulk writing team with zeb wells and then um has been now writing some marvel stuff um i've heard him in a few interviews and uh really like him really like that that personality he's very ebullient and um enthusiastic and and then his writing in some of the spider-man issues you know i felt a little bit of it was almost, uh, and I don't, want, I don't want to say overwritten, but there was just lots of um, sort of like mm, enjoying yourself as a writer, enjoying the word, the words you can put in characters' mouths and stuff like that. Um, but it, it it fits, it fits, and we're getting you know some some very different writers, I would say, um, but all of them have. Uh, you know, a taste of the humor and then a taste of the drama and intrigue that um, I like this. I like this mix so far, this team, this sort of um, trade-off creative team. Of course, Pat Gleason and, and Mike Dowling and these artists are also bringing it for sure. So, um, yeah, so I'm really enjoying the uh, Spider-Man. I'm continuing to enjoy the Spider-Man Beyond. Last week was an issue where I was like, oh, man, it was <laughs> it was issue 80 dot. Bay, um, B-A-Y, uh, if you can tolerate that, um, for Beyond, but it was, um, it was very focused on Aunt May and, uh, Otto Octavius, who, if you recall from, I think it was the dance lot time, um, sparked a bit of a romance and it kind of hinges on them doing that as they go on a mission to try to find a way to save, uh, Peter Parker from this poison that's really kept him, uh, bedridden in the hospital. Um, I was like, ah, oh, an issue with May and Otto, Octavius, and then in spite of myself, I was totally in. So, <laughs> so I continue to enjoy it. I like I like this new Spider-Man run, um, and I'm con- gonna gonna continue to collect. Okay, well, that's uh, polybagged, and and um, I guess I want to just wrap with this. I've been in uh, my classroom, as I said. Um, you know, going through and experiencing a lot, um, but also some exciting and hopeful things on the comics reading front. Um, actually, a colleague of mine teaches at the high school and works with, um, you know, immigrant students just like I do. Has been have been reading. Um, uh, to look up the artist's name, Home, from Image Comics, which I think was a five issue series um, by Julio Anta, and. Um, uh, written by Julio Anta with art by um, Anna Wizchik, I think. And um, uh, my my friend, shout out to you, Paco, is teaching at the high school and gave it to his, um, you know, his uh, immigrant students, and they loved it. They just couldn't. They wanted more. <laughs> they were clamoring for the next issue, and uh, and that's really fun. It's exciting. We got to I got to take a bunch of. I had a few copies of the whole run, and uh, and he got some too. 
And so his kids were really into that. Um, and meanwhile, my students continued to be um, just exploring and reading lots of stuff. And we're, we're moving, we're dancing between, you know, prose and verse stuff and um, nonfiction and, and graphic novels and graphic nonfiction and, and, you know, all kinds of powerful works. Um, and uh, and so that's been really good. I've been thinking away about the ways that comics have been a really um, friendly literary refuge for them um, because there's so many good relatable, uh, powerful stories. Um, you know, we're reading a bit from Puerto Rico Strong from a few years back. We're reading a bit from um, Voces Sin, Sin Fronteras, which was a work, Latin American Youth Center, a bunch of, of, of young people created bilingual comics. Um, and, uh, and meanwhile, at home, <laughs> a few weeks ago, a few episodes ago, um, co-host kid, my daughter, and I talked about Laid Back Camp um, by Afro and a uh, friend of the show, Seth Hani, had once upon a time really recommended Laid Back Camp. Uh, the the anime, actually. Seth uh, hasn't read the manga, he admitted. Um, we have done both. <laughs> we have been very much consuming the um, popcorn soul delight that is um, the manga by Afro and uh, as well as the... Um, the show on Crunchyroll, the anime, um, the tunes, uh, the background music for when Rin, Rin-chan goes solo camping has just been playing on repeat in our house. And uh, with all the hard times, this comic is a bit of a refuge. It's about five girls who have a camping club. They go camping. They eat. <laughs> When they finish that, they plan the next time they will camp and what they will eat. <laughs> That's the little show. That's the show. And it's so comforting. Um, we just, we, we have it on in the background, even though it's in Japanese. And, uh, and we read it. Um, and uh, knowing all the things that my daughter, my family, my wife, you know, that we're experiencing, the people experiencing around us, this very small but totally compelling story of these it's not even the story so much it's just the the things that the the characters are discovering as they learn how to be campers uh comics uh, can be a refuge um even as they remind us of the hard things that we we have to we have to confront thanks for joining us on the comic syllabus um check us out at multiversitycomics.com and all the year-end stuff coming soon there, as well as at comicsyllabus.substack.com. Thank you. Hey, next week, I think I'm going to talk about Dash Shaw's Discipline from New York Review Books earlier this year. Civil War, Quaker, good stuff. <laughs> all right, see you next week. Take care, y'all.